Greetings, friends and brethren. This is Dr. Bob Teal. The fall holy days are coming up for 2013. Should you keep them? Do early Christians keep the fall holy days? Uh, you know, a lot of people know about Halloween, All Saints Day, and Christmas. But what about the Day of Atonement, the Feast of Trumpets, the Feast of Tabernacles, the last great day? And what days did Jesus keep? Well, most people who profess Christ know that Jesus kept the same holy days that are listed in the Bible in the book of Leviticus, chapter 23. Uh, some of them are mentioned also in the, uh, the New Testament, and some of them are actually mentioned that Jesus kept. What's interesting is that most people who profess Christ realize that they should possibly, or at least in the New Testament, the, the day of Pentecost was kept, because you can read about that in Acts chapter 2. But some don't realize that that's actually a Greek name of a biblical holy day that was in the Old Testament, but that's when the Holy Spirit came. So some people think, okay, Pentecost, yeah, we're supposed to keep that. There's some new Christian meaning to that, so we should do that. Uh, the other is Passover. In countries where they have a language other than uh, English and perhaps German, they don't use the term Easter for what they observe in the springtime. They call it Pascha or Passover or some version of Passover. So most people in those cultures realize that this is supposed to have something to do with Passover. And if you read the Bible, obviously, you know, the Passover uh, was Jesus, the Passover lamb, and the, the, the children of Israel kept Passover. Uh, but in a lot of cultures, such as the United States, where I grew up, I heard of Easter. I didn't hear anything about Passover. I mean, I saw it in the Bible, but... There was no connection in my mind that it was supposed to be related. But when I checked with the Catechism of the Catholic Church, it basically says Easter is Passover. If you look through uh, not just the Catechism, but early uh, Greco-Roman writings, that's basically what they said happened. But what about the fall holy days? Doing a lot of research into church history, I find that people say, okay, well, okay, maybe those spring ones have a Christian meaning, but they tend to overlook the fall ones, and the fall ones are coming up. But first, just to make this clear, let's find out if Jesus kept them or not. So take your Bibles and go to the Gospel according to John, uh, John's account, uh, John chapter 7, is what we're going to, to read. And we're going to start with verse 1. It says, After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he did not want to walk in Judea, because the Jews sought to kill him. So, before we get into this, we see, okay, there's some problem here, and Jesus has to be careful. Uh, you'll notice his solution to people wanting to kill him was not to get an army and go out and try to fight them, but he tried to hide. He didn't, he didn't want to deal with it. Uh, he didn't want to get killed. It wasn't his time. Verse 2, now the Jews' Feast of Tabernacles was at hand. So the Feast of Tabernacles was about to begin in Judea. Verse 3, his brothers therefore said to him, depart from here and go into Judea that your disciples may also see the works you are doing. For no one does anything in secret, while he himself seeks to be openly known. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers did not believe in him. Well, that changed over time. Uh, at least his uh, brother named James and others uh, are believed to have believed in him. There seemed to be an account of that. But again, despite what Jesus did, despite who he was, people didn't believe it. But Jesus said in verse 6, my time has not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it, for its works are evil. You go up to the feast. Go to this feast. So Jesus told them to go keep the feast. I am not yet going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. 
When he said these things to them, he remained in Galilee. So what happened was, Jesus said, I'm not going up yet. You guys need to keep the feast. Basically, people are trying to kill me, so I've got to figure out how to do this and how to handle this, because this was not the time for him to be crucified. So verse 10, But when his brothers had gone up, then he also went to the feast, not openly, but as it were in secret. So Jesus actually did go to the feast. Uh, he just didn't go with his brothers. And you can find, figure out why in verse 11. Then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, Where is he? So obviously they would have probably looked for his family, looked for his relatives, or his brothers. He's there. He wasn't there. Verse 12. And there was much complaining among the people concerning him. Some said he is good. Others said no. On the contrary, he deceives the people. However, no one spoke openly of him for fear of the Jews. So Jesus was there, but they couldn't find him. They didn't know who he was. And this is not that an unusual concept, because if you look in the Bible, it also said later, when Jesus was to be crucified, that someone uh, had to identify him to the Jewish authorities so they could arrest him, because he just kind of blended in the, with the crowd, apparently. Now, verse 14. Now, in the middle of the feast, Jesus went up in the temple and taught. Now, you say, well, that proves he wasn't at the feast uh, earlier. No, everybody couldn't fit in the temple. The temple wasn't big enough for all the people who were there uh, uh, during the Feast of Tabernacles. Okay? But notice, he went up to the temple and he taught. So during the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus set the example of being a teacher during that time. Verse 15, And the Jews marveled, saying, How does this man know letters, having never studied? So they were amazed with what he had to say. And Jesus gave an explanation in verse 16. Jesus answered and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Did not Moses keep the law, yet none of you keeps the law? Why do you seek to kill me? So Jesus was speaking and saying that I'm here. Some of you in, uh, in violation of the law actually want to kill me. But again, he went to the feast. He spoke at the feast. Now, what a lot of people don't realize is that the New Testament shows that first century Christians observed the fall holy days, such as the Day of Atonement, the, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, and the fulfillments of the Feast of Trumpets is also mentioned in, in the Bible. But I'd like to go a little further in John chapter 7. Uh, Jesus speaks. Uh, he talks to them. He answers some questions. Verse uh, 28, he cried out as he taught in the temple, saying, You both know me, and you know where I am from, and I have not come for myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you did not know, but I know him, and for, for I am from him, and he sent me. And verse 30, they sought to take him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour was not yet come. So God didn't want him to be taken at that stage. And people were debating if he was the Christ or not. As it says in verse 31, he's doing all these signs, miracles. I mean, perhaps he is. And then he continues. So he's there during the Feast of Tabernacles. And then on the eighth day, uh, what we tend to call the last great day, Jesus also spoke. That's a separate holy day, and you can read about this in John chapter 7, verse 37. It says, On the last day, that great day of the feast, 
Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit that those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. And then after he said that, many from the crowds, and they heard this saying, Truly this is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. And then others debated it. Says, Look, he came from Galilee. The Bible doesn't teach that. But of course, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And just because he was raised in Galilee doesn't mean that uh, that's where he was from. But we do see that Jesus went to the Feast of Tabernacles, and Jesus spoke at the Feast of Tabernacles, and Jesus spoke on the last great day uh, concerning the things of God. You don't have to turn there, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, the Apostle Paul wrote, Imitate me just as I imitate Christ. And we know that Jesus kept the holy days. Now, if you go to 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, you don't have to turn there if you don't wish to, so I won't be there very long, but 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, the Apostle John wrote, He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Well, one of the things that Jesus did was keep the holy days, including the fall holy days. We saw that he went to, to there secretly, so perhaps he even walked, by the way. It doesn't say if he walked or if he took a horse or something. They didn't have cars or trains or buses back then, so we're pretty sure he didn't do any of those. Um, now, some will say that, well, these holy days and stuff were up until the crucifixion, and after that, they weren't kept. People didn't keep the holy days, etc. after that. Well, that's not what the Bible shows. If you go to the book of Acts, chapter 18, and verse 21, uh, there's a, a statement from the apostle uh, Paul, Acts 18, 21. Paul says, I must by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem, but I will return to you again, God willing. And he sailed from Ephesus. So this is saying the Apostle Paul felt he still had to keep the feast. Now this is possibly the Feast of Tabernacles. Some thinks it could be the uh, uh, Passover and the Days of Eleven Bread. But either way, he said he was supposed to keep the feasts. This is after Jesus died, was crucified, resurrected. So we see an effort, or we see a recording that uh, Christians were keeping uh, that feast, and the Apostle Paul was the Apostle to the Gentiles, and he was still keeping the feast. Um, in Acts 27, verse 9, there's a passing reference to another one. Uh, Acts 27 verse 9 says, "In which much, when much time had been spent and the sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over, Paul advised them saying, and it goes into what Paul was advising them. But notice there's a reference to the fast. What's that? That's the day of atonement. Uh, God says to afflict your souls on that day and what historically people have done, people who are able uh, fasted on that day so it was called the fast. So we have a reference to another fall holy day in the, the New Testament uh, by Christians. Now, the observance of the Feast of Trumpets is not specifically mentioned in the New Testament per se. However, things associated with it were, 
Now, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 5, that Jesus was without sin. So, since you were supposed to keep the, the holy days, Jesus would have kept all the holy days, including the Feast of Trumpets, even though that one's not specifically mentioned that he kept by name. Uh, again, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles was mentioned, the Last Great Day was mentioned. Uh, I won't turn there, but there are various passages that Jesus kept the Passover. So we know that was kept by Jesus. But specifically, he didn't sin. So if he didn't sin, he would have kept them. Now, if you go to the book of Acts, chapter 28, since we're most of the way there, I'd like to read a passage in Acts 28, verse 17, because this is actual proof that the Apostle Paul also kept all the, uh, the holy days, and that would include uh, the Day of Atonement, which I referred to a moment ago, but also the Feast of Trumpets. How do you know that? Well, verse 7 of Acts 28 and it came to pass after three days that Paul called the leaders of the Jews together. So he called the leaders of the Jews together. So when they came together, he said to them, this is the Apostle Paul speaking, Men and brethren, though I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. Who when they examined me, they wanted to let me go because there's nothing for putting me to death. Verse 19. But when the Jews spoke against it, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar. Not that I had anything to accuse my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have called for you to see you and speak with you because for the hope of Israel am I bound with chains. So notice, though, in verse 17, he said he did nothing against our people, the Jews' people, because he called the Jewish leaders, or the customs of our fathers. Well, if he was teaching people not to keep the holy days, he did something against the customs of his fathers and against the Jewish people. If he wasn't keeping them himself, he was in violation as well. So that's additional proof from the apostle to the Gentiles that he said, look, I kept the holy days. I've done all the stuff that Jewish people were supposed to do. And that's what he was saying. And that's what he told him. He says, I'm not here because I violated the law or the customs of our people. And so, again, I believe that's additional indication about that. Now, I mentioned the Feast of Trumpets isn't specifically listed uh, as being kept by somebody. It doesn't say that somebody went to church in the Feast of Trumpets or something. But Jesus mentioned an event concerning trumpets. So if you go to the book of uh, Matthew, chapter 24, and go to verse 30, Matthew chapter 24, uh, I'm going to cut in the middle of verse 30. It says, And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. And they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. So we see some future event is going to happen involving a trumpet. Now, why do I mention that? Because we had the Passover, which everybody who knows the biblical accounts realizes that this is when uh, God uh, spared the children of Israel, that had the death angel pass over their houses, and he struck the firstborn of the land of Egypt. And the New Testament says that Jesus was our Passover lamb sacrifice for us. Then we had a Pentecost, where you count the count of 50, the uh, wave sheaf, uh, feast of first fruits. And in the New Testament, we saw the Holy Spirit came for the first fruits at that time. 
And so we had a New Testament fulfillment. But there's a big gap in time between the spring holy days and the ones that come in the fall or autumn of the year. Those have not yet been fulfilled. And so the fulfillment of the Feast of Trumpets is referred to repeatedly in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, what we find is that the day of trumpets was a day of blowing of trumpets. And if you read in the New Testament, you're going to read a variety of trumpets that are blown in the book of Revelation. But there's one particular one that this uh, feast day seems to picture perhaps the most, and that's the last trumpet, the trumpet that sounds when Jesus is going to return. Now, Jesus was the only one who specifically taught about this, so did the Apostle Paul. If you go in your Bible, you turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we're going to just cut into verse 16. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, let me read this, and we'll read verses uh, 16 and 17. It says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, and that's basically what Jesus just said in Matthew 24, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So this is another fulfillment, or another more information about the fulfillment of the Feast of Trumpets. Now, which trumpet does Jesus return on? Well, the Apostle Paul wrote about that too. So you take your Bibles and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and go to verse 51. We'll read a little bit here. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall all be changed. Jesus kept the holy days after he died and was resurrected. The Apostle Paul kept the holy days. Jesus taught about the holy days. The Apostle Paul taught about the holy days. And we see that throughout the Bible. Now, did New Testament, after the, writing the New Testament, and after people like the Apostle Paul died, did people keep these holy days? Did other Christians keep them? Well, the Greco-Roman types over time did not. Uh, they did not keep uh, the fall holy days. They, again, had their versions of the spring ones. But what about faithful Christians? What about people such as Polycarp of Smyrna, who, was, who knew the Apostle John, who was appointed to be a bishop by the apostles? And this is understood and recognized by the Roman Catholic Church, the Eastern Orthodox Church, and most Protestant scholars know this. Uh, anyway, there's different reasons to conclude that the full holy days were kept. One reason, of course, is the original apostles did, and the second reason would be that they were mentioned both in the Old and New Testaments. But Polycarp and Polycrates, who came later, said that they followed the practices of the apostles in regards to the holy days. Uh, both of them actually told bishops of Rome the same thing. Polycarp went to uh, Rome and told the Roman bishops, that Roman bishop Anicetus, that you're supposed to keep Passover the same day the Bible did, that Jesus did, that the Jews did. So pretty reasonable that uh, he would have kept the other holy days for the right time. And Polycrates did the same thing, except he sent a letter to uh, the bishop Victor of Rome at the time. Now there are Christian meanings associated with the holy days. I'm going to refer to some of those in the future, in the sermon I mean. Uh, I referred to some a little earlier. And another part is if they weren't being kept, 
there would have been no reason for later Greco-Roman leaders to try to drive them out and to try to do away with them. Now, I'd like to read uh, a writing called The Life of Polycarp. And I'd like to read this because um, there are some problems with this. It's not from the Bible, but it gives some ideas of what's going on. This is from somebody called Pionesus, who wrote The Life of Polycarp. I will give the narration in order, thus coming down to the history of the blessed Polycarp. So also he, Polycarp, pursued the reading of scriptures from childhood to old age, himself reading in church, and he recommended it to others. And that's what I've been doing. I've been reading these scriptures in church, saying that the reading of the law and the prophets was a forerunner of grace, preparing, making straight the ways of the Lord, that is, the hearts which are like tablets, upon which certain harsh beliefs and conceptions that were written before perfect knowledge came, are through the inculcation of the Old Testament and the correct interpretation following thereupon. First smoothed and leveled, that when the Holy Spirit comes as a pen, the grace and joy of the voice of the gospel, the doctrine of the immortal and heavenly Christ may be inscribed on them. I'm sorry, that was an extremely long sentence. But the point I wanted to make is, uh, Pianesis is saying what I'm saying, which is the Christians understood from reading the Bible, from reading the Old Testament and to a degree the New Testament, what these holy days were picturing, what the plan of God was. And after they got the Holy Spirit, some of these things became clearer to them. And he, that's Polycarp, said, they could not otherwise receive the impression of the seal which is given at baptism and engrave and exhibit the form conveyed in it, lest the wax was first softened and filled with the deep parts. So he thought that the hearts of the hearers ought to be softened and yield to, to the impress of the word. Now, I, I don't want to read over that. To the impress of the word. The word here was capitalized. It means the word of God. And what he's basically saying here is Polycarp said it was really, really, really important to do what the word of God said. That's why he studied it. And that's why we should be keeping the days that are in the Bible. For he said it unfolded and opened like closed doors the minds of the recent comers. And according to the prophet was bidden by God, cry out mightily and spare not, raise your voice as a trumpet. Which is what I'm trying to do here. What must one say? Even he that was gentler than all men so appeals and cries out at the Feast of Tabernacles. For as it was written, on the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood, cried, saying, If any man thirsts, let him come to me and drink. So we have a reference to Polycarp and the last great day in the literature. Now, it seemed that there was a major split between, in the 2nd and 3rd centuries between those of us in the Church of God and the Greco-Romans. But there were people who had our faith. These were people who later writers have called Judeo-Christians. And according to Catholic writers, these people kept the Holy Days. Now, there's a Jewish account in the Talmud about a Christian named Jacob around 100 to 120 A.D. And he was discussing with a Jewish scholar the Day of Atonement. And this Christian named Jacob explained how it helped show that Christ was the head of the angels and that we are to be blameless in our conduct. Well, one of the things that the Day of Atonement pictures is that uh, Satan will be cast and bound for a thousand years and he will receive some of the blame that he has for, for, for sin. So this was understood by a Christian in the early second century. And this is actually in Jewish writings.
But the Greco-Romans don't keep those. Why don't they keep them? There's a bunch of reasons, but I'd like to read an interesting quote from Eusebius. He wrote a book called The Life of, of Constantine. Now, Constantine was a worshiper of the sun god Mithras. In the 4th century, he legalized Christianity for a while. Then what he decided is he issued an edict against heretics and said, by the way, if you don't agree with his version of Christianity, so-called, uh, then you could lose your property, you could die, they'd chase you around. Uh, they dealt with people, for example, in the uh, Jerusalem area at the time. They wouldn't eat unclean meat, they would kill them. So not a really nice guy. He's considered a saint by the... Uh, uh, the Orthodox Church, and uh, he's called Constantine the Great by the Roman Catholic Church. Um, anyway, here's what he said. Let us then have nothing in common with the detestable Jewish crowd, for we have received from our Savior a different way. Huh? A different way? He was talking about the Holy Days, by the way, specifically uh, Passover here. Jesus kept the Passover. Jesus kept the Holy Days. Jesus was Jewish. But he said, no, we want to have nothing in common with the detestable Jewish crowd. So then what happened? Well, a lot of things, but one of them was he was a worshiper of uh, the sun god Mithras, whose birthday happened to be on December 25th. Interesting coincidence. Now, Christians, early Christians, didn't celebrate birthdays, but the Roman emperors did. And lo and behold, what happens? Not too long after this, Rome adopts December 25th as a day in order to celebrate the birth of Christ, which is not mentioned in the Bible. You know, the Bible's got a lot of days mentioned. And if you go to the uh, book of Leviticus, chapter 23, and I'll go there later, it says, on this day of this month, do this, and this day of this month, do that. So you know what? I think God is certainly capable, if you want people to know when Jesus was born and to celebrate it, to put it in here and say, here's the date, here's when you celebrate it. doesn't say it. it tells us to celebrate these other days. Well, later, over in Constantinople, there's this guy by the name of John Chrysostom, who's known as the Golden Throat, because he was a good speaker. And a lot of people like good speakers. And that's interesting, but as it turns out, they should pay more attention to the Word of God than how good somebody speaks. Well, John Chrysostom gave a powerful sermon in 387. And he did this around the early fall, late summer. Here's what he said. The festivals of the pitiful and miserable Jews are soon to march upon us, one after the other, in quick su succession. The Feast of Trumpets, the Feast of Tabernacles, and the Fasts. So he's talking about the Fall Holy Days. Okay, This was given to tell people to stay away from those. They're about to come. Couldn't have to tell people to stay away from them if everybody stayed away from them. There are many in our ranks who say they think as we do. Yet some of these are going to watch the festivals and others will join the Jews keeping their feasts and observing their fasts. I wish to drive this perverse custom from the church right now. If Jewish ceremonies are venerable and great, ours are lies. Well, he's right. One or the other. Either his are great or, or God's are great. And if God's are great, of course God's are great, then his are lies. That's right. Does God hate their festivals and do you share in them? He did not say this or that festival, but all of them all together. So he's saying, God condemned all the festivals of the Bible. 
not the God who wrote this Bible. And he's got a problem with that, because if that was true, which it's not, there's hypocrisy there. What kind of hypocrisy? I mentioned before, the Greek Orthodox use the word Pascha for Passover. They keep it. They don't keep it right, but they keep it, and they keep it because they think it's in this book. And he says all of them are bad. John Chrysostom, one of their great leaders. Matter of fact, when uh, my wife Joyce and I were in Constantinople, and we went into the building of the Ecumenical Patriarch of Constantinople, they had this guy's painting right up there. He's a big deal to them. He said more. He said, the wicked and unclean fast of the Jews is now at our door. He's calling it a wicked and unclean fast. Though it is a fast, do not wonder that I have called it unclean. But now that the devil summons your wives to the Feast of Trumpets, and they turn ready to this call, you do not restrain them. You let them entangle themselves in accusations of ungodliness. You let them be dragged off into licentious ways. Excuse me? Keeping the Feast of Trumpets? or the Day of Atonement is a fast, is not licentious. Licentiousness has to do with less of the flesh and other things, not keeping God's days. But he said, no, this is licentiousness. And then he also said, so the law, so also the law fixed the Feast of Tabernacles. He actually said that in his fourth homily against the Jews. He knows that the law said it. But he's still condemning it. Yet, the same John Chrysostom, who said that, that all the uh, festivals altogether God condemned, he said this, When it says the day of Pentecost is fully come, that is, when at Pentecost, well, about it in short, now he's talking about Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, which was a, quote, Jewish holy day, end quote, for it was essential that the present events likewise should take place during the feast, that those who witnessed the crucifixion of Christ might also behold. And it says, there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men. The fact that they were dwelling there was a sign of piety, that being so many nations should have left the country and home and relations as to be abiding there, for it was Pentecost. So he's saying it was good that they came there to keep the feast of Pentecost. But how did they know? If they were all done away at the cross, the disciples shouldn't have been doing it. But they were there. The Holy Spirit hadn't come already. They didn't know they were supposed to keep it because the Holy Spirit was going to come. They knew the Holy Spirit was going to come. The Bible doesn't say when it was going to come. And they kept Pentecost. And John Chrysostom didn't think that one was okay. But he forgot when he said that, he, according to him, God condemned all the holy days together. But God didn't condemn all the holy days together. Even the Greco-Romans say he didn't condemn at least two of them. They, they don't seem to understand the error of their ways. They don't seem to realize that the Holy Days picture God's plan of salvation and that part of the plan has been acted out. Christ was our Passover lamb. The Holy Spirit was given. But Jesus is also going to come. The Feast of Trumpets will be fulfilled. Now the same John Chrysostom, who they honor as a great saint, wasn't the nicest guy. He didn't like people who were Jewish or had any of those kind of things. Here's what he said. Remember, this is supposed to be a Christian leader. He's not a real Christian leader, but people seem to think he was. At least the Greco-Romans do. But do not be surprised I call the Jews pitiable. They are really, really pitiable and miserable. The godlessness of the Jews and pagans is on par. 
but the Jews practice a deceit which is more dangerous. Well, actually, I think the Greco-Romans practice a deceit which is more dangerous. Do you see that the demons dwell in their souls and that these demons are more dangerous than the ones of old? Since it is against the Jews that I wish to draw up my battle line, let me extend my instruction further. Let me show that by fasting now, the Jews dishonor the law and trample underfoot God's commands because they are always doing everything contrary to his degrees. When God wished them to fast, they go fat and flabby. Indeed, the fasting of the Jews, which is more disgraceful than any drunkenness, is over and gone. Excuse me? The New Testament condemns drunkenness. It doesn't condemn fasting. But this is what he was condemning. He condemned anything associated with the Jews. It was because of him and people like him that we saw more and more of a wedge be brought forth between the Greco-Romans and those who wanted to keep what the Bible said. Now, what day does the Bible call? Great. Well, I read you from the New King James Version of the Bible. I'd like to actually read from uh, the Reims New Testament, which is a Catholic translation uh, into uh, English. And this is from John 7:37. So even from the Catholic Bible, what does it say? And in the last, the great day of the festivity, Jesus stood and cried. Even the Catholic Bible says, what day was great? The day that Jesus kept. The last great day. The Greco-Romans don't keep it. But John Chrysostom said, if the Jewish ceremonies are venerable, then ours are lies. Well, guess what? The Jewish festivals were great and venerable, and his are lies. Um, there's other uh, sources, by the way, that confirm that uh, uh, people, like, people such as us were keeping the uh, holy days. Uh, this is from a Catholic source. It says, St. Jerome, their saint, speaking of how the Judeo-Christians celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles, tell us that they gave the feast a millenarian significance. What does that mean? This means that when Christians were keeping the Feast of Tabernacles around the end of the 4th century, early 5th century, that's around the time of Jerome, they said it helped picture the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. So they understood that it had a meaning for Christianity. The millennial reign is talked about in uh, Revelation chapter 20 for the thousand years. Furthermore, I'd like to read something else from a Catholic scholar by the name of... Uh, uh, Bellarmino Bagatti, and he's a priest, Catholic priest, he was before he died. Jews and Judeo Christians celebrated the same feasts. Okay? The historical record is clear. They kept the same feast. So we're not talking that for the first 20, 30 years after Jesus died, there were a bunch of Jews who dominated Christianity, and because of that, the Jewish festivals, the fall festivals, were held. No. Centuries later, we still see Judeo-Christians, as uh, the Catholics tend to refer to us, or Nazarene Christians is another label that they use around that time. We're keeping the Feast of uh, Tabernacles and the other holy days. Well, what about beyond that in later history? There's some additional evidence. I'd like to read from the Old Ambassador uh, College Bible Correspondence Course and this report about that. It says, under the name of the Pasagini, we have the clearest sort of statement that these people, about 1,200, observed the whole Old Testament law, including the Sabbath and the festivals. People called Cathars at Cologne, Germany, kept a fall festival called Maliosa, even before Waldo began to preach. 
So we're probably talking around 1000 AD plus or minus. Compare this unexplained name with uh, Melea, a Hebrew term which means a harvest of grain, and the biblical title Feast of Ingathering from Exodus 23:16. How much more might we have had known about these middle-aged Feast of Tabernacles had not the inquisitors so zealously burned the records? And also, there was a three-part division of tithes paid by the Waldensian church. Even in the 1500s, the same division continued. The money given to us by the people is carried to the aforesaid council and delivered in the presence of all, for there it's received by the ancient elders. Part of it's given to those who are wayfaring, men according to their necessities, and part to the poor. Many elders have assumed the wayfaring men were traveling barbell, but their expenses would have been paid by the elders the very time of the year for the feast times. So basically what they're saying is there were indications in the 1500s with first tithe, second tithe, third tithe, and second tithe is commonly used to pay for going to the holy days, and that that was going on at those times. Furthermore, uh, there's a source from the, uh, the Seventh-day Adventists. Now, Seventh-day Adventists, as a rule, don't keep the holy days, but this is... Uh, from the Sabbatarians uh, in Transylvania, and these were converted Gentiles. These were not Jews, according to uh, this particular scholar. And this is in the 16th century. They held to the biblical holy days. The Day of Atonement was a day of fasting, although they emphasized that penitence is more easily achieved by a peaceful and quiet meditation on the law and one's life than by fasting. The Day of Remembrance, New Year, that would be uh, trumpets, they celebrated in the fall of the year, was a day which they thanked God especially for the creation of the universe. Now, some of the Jews, by the way, believed that the universe was created on the day of uh, trumpets or the Feast of Trumpets. So, so did these uh, 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 Christians or professing Christians in the uh, 16th century. So this is more historical evidence that the Holy Days were kept. But what about now? We see that people nowadays, only a very small minority of people who profess Christ keep Holy Days. But what do they do instead? Well, John Chrysostom, who I mentioned before, mentioned that in the 4th century, they started to keep this day in honor of all saints. It wasn't kept the same way All Saints Day is now kept, or the Day of the Dead, as they call it, in Mexico nor Halloween, which the evening before how the ancient Druids kept it, which all got part of Greco-Roman Christianity. But again, this is from John Chrysostom, who said, if uh, the Jewish days are uh, venerable, then ours are lies. If, if, if God's holy days are good, then ours are lies. Well, which, which of the ours was he talking about? All Saints Day, Halloween. December 25th, the birthday of the sun god Mithras, which is now celebrated as the day of Christ's birth by most people. Now, I've taken a different approach with some of the church history and how uh, explains in the holy days than some others before me have, mainly because the more research I've done, the more I realize that as time goes on, just saying things came from paganism isn't going to convince a lot of people because a lot of people have actually been taught that the pagan uh, sources of a lot of these things are good and that human tradition over, overpowers the word of God 
And that's why I wanted to emphasize before about Polycarp. He searched the scriptures. He did what it said in the Word of God. He wanted to impress upon his followers and anybody who would listen to him that it was the Word of God that was important, not human traditions or anything else people added. Now, I'd like to read something from a Roman Catholic uh, writer. So it should be noted that Halloween is a Catholic holiday. Pope Gregory the fourth in 835 made it the universal practice of the Roman Catholic Church. But again, they had a uh, saint's day that, uh, that they did before. All Hallows Eve is the evening before All Saints Day. Well, we all knew that. Hallow is the name and hallowed be thy name in the Lord's Prayer. And it's an older form of the word holy. You'll notice sometimes, by the way, when you read through Catholic things, they try to suggest they got something from the Bible. They call it All Hallows Eve because the word hallowed be thy name is in the Bible. What's that got? That's got nothing to do with this pagan celebration that they do with witches and dark things and all the kind of stuff that they do. But they added to it. But November 1st was the day of the Celtic Summer's End Feast of Samhain, the day when the dead returned to the earth. We have retained some of these pagan elements to Halloween as it is true of Christmas and Easter. So Catholic writer is saying, look, yeah, it's true. We picked up some of this Celtic stuff, some of the stuff the Druids did, these pagan things, and we incorporated them into our Halloween festival. But it's okay because we also incorporated paganism into Easter. The name Easter is pagan. And Christmas, which again I mentioned where it came from, or part of it. So he says, why would a pope put the Christian celebration of the dead on top of the pagan celebration of the dead? Now this next part is very important. It's very important for the final phase of the work. Why is it very important for the final phase of the work? Because the final phase of the work is not just the Church of God message versus the Protestant message, but the message of the Church of God against a revived and growing powerful uh, religion. It's going to call itself Catholic. Notice, he says, because the Catholic feasts are in continuity and fulfill the meaning of the pagan ones. Let me read that again. The Catholic feasts are in continuity and fulfill the meaning of the pagan ones. This is why C.S. Lewis said that Christianity was the fulfillment of paganism. This is why we can't just go out there and tell the Catholics and the Protestants, look, what you're doing is all pagan. It is. A lot of what they are doing is pagan. But the Catholics are being taught. They're getting it drilled into them that it's okay that they adopted customs from pagans. So what do we, the Church of God, need to do to explain to them? We need to explain to them it's more important what this word says. This is more important. The Bible is more important than traditions of men. The Bible is more important. And we're supposed to obey God rather than men. We're not supposed to worship God the, the way the heathen did. God condemns that repeatedly throughout the Bible. Jesus did not celebrate pagan holidays. He did not endorse pagan worship. So he continues, we don't reject the use of trees at Christmas time just because they're pagan. We continue to use them because as symbols of life they now point to Christ. They don't point to Christ. Christmas trees? They point to paganism. They point to the pagan concept that they were evergreen and that the sun god provided light and life. So what about the indulgence of the spooky and the scary? Skeletons are spooky, but they are also very Catholic. In fact, one could not find a better haunted house for Halloween pilgrimage than the various chapels of bones that can be found across Europe. 
This is from, an, from uh, Catholic Online International News, by the way. Now, you say, well, that's just one isolated Catholic. Again, we're talking about the fall holy days, and somebody's holy days are real and some aren't. What does the Catholic Encyclopedia say about Christmas, for example? Big holiday, right? Everybody knows about it. People think you're weird if you're Christian, you don't keep it. Think you're weird if you don't keep it if you're Christian or not Christian. They, they think it's weird. Catholic Encyclopedia says, quote, Christmas was not among the earliest festivals of the church. <laughs> of course it was among them, because the apostles didn't keep it. The apostles did not keep Christmas. The apostles did not keep All Saints Day. The apostles did not keep Halloween. The apostles did not add pagan elements to Passover and then say it should be renamed Easter after the uh, pagan goddess started, the fertility goddess. They didn't do any of those things. Now, if you're a Catholic and you're watching this, you say, yes, but we're supposed to do what sacred tradition tells us, what we get from the living magisterium. Well, if you actually check Catholic dogma, what you're really supposed to be, believe is what the Bible says and what traditions were passed on by the apostles that perhaps were not written in Scripture. Okay, but never should those traditions contradict Scripture. Even the Catholic saint Irenaeus, he's a Roman Catholic saint, Eastern Orthodox saint, and most Protestants consider him a saint, said that if there's a conflict between tradition and Scripture, you're supposed to do what the Bible says. And that's supposed to be a tradition of the Catholic Church. Now, getting back to the Catholic Encyclopedia about Christmas, it says, Irenaeus, who I just mentioned, and Tertullian omit it from their lists of feasts. Origen, glancing perhaps at the discreditable imperial Natalia, asserts that in scriptures alone, excuse me, in scriptures, sinners alone, not saints, celebrated their birthdays. Arnobius can still ridicule the birthday of the gods. Now, what's this trying to say? Origen was one of the big theologians for the Orthodox Church in the third century. And he said it, that people were keeping the, the Natalia, which is the day of the sun, a birthday of the sun. He condemned it in the third century. Then Arnobius, who's more like a fourth century person, was ridiculing the celebration of birthdays by Christians. Now he was a Greco-Roman. said it was not supposed to be done. Now, the World Book Encyclopedia says Bishop Liberius of Rome was the one who ordered the people to celebrate on December 25th. He ordered them. He ordered them to add a day that was not there. Why? Because the Constantinians were keeping it. And he finally decided to do it. Now, it may have started before him uh, in Rome, but we're pretty sure it does come from uh, Constantine and Mithra. And John uh, Chrysostom he made sure by 395 A.D. that December 25th was celebrated as the day of Christ's birth in Constantinople. Um, I'm not going to go there right now, but if you go to Jeremiah 10, verses 2 through 4, uh, it says words about things such as uh, uh, Christmas trees. But I do like to read Deuteronomy 12, 29 through 31. So take your Bibles and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 12. Uh, start in verse 29. When the Lord your God cuts off before you the nations which you go to dispossess, 
and you displace them and dwell in their land, take heed to yourself that you are not ensnared to follow them after they are destroyed from before you, and you do not go after their gods, saying, How do these nations serve their God? I will do likewise. So in other words, how did pagans do it? Let's do it. Notice this. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way, for every abomination to the Lord which he hates, they have done to their gods. So that is what God says. Yet the Greco-Romans say, oh, it's okay. We adopted paganism. When I did a lot of church research, I was kept running into various pagan elements, and I finally realized that one of the reasons that the Church of Rome decided it was okay is that people like Origen, who I mentioned a few moments ago, came from a, a Greek background, and they studied the old Greek scholars, uh, and basically they had kind of the same faith as those Greek scholars. Justin Martyr, who was one of the first to introduce uh, Sunday uh, worship, he, he was a philosopher. He had studied Greek philosophy. Uh, in, in something called the Eighth Day, which has got nothing to do with the, the normal Bible, but they turn the Eighth Day of the Week into the first day of the week, which they say is Sunday, is better than the Sabbath, because they got this from the pagan uh, philosophers, Greek philosophers, who were around centuries before the birth of Christ. So how does the Greco-Roman world explain all this? Because they adopted all this. They said, no, God inspired those people to write about these things. So when Jesus came, uh, they would be prepared for Christ. They didn't say, you're supposed to look at this book, do what the Bible says, read what this word says, get this word in you, impress upon it the word of God, do what the Bible says, and that will be, uh, uh, that's the truth, that's the word of truth, that's how you should get it. They said, oh no, God must have prepared these people. That's why there's so many similarities between pagan ceremonies and what the Church of Rome does. This is why there's a lot of similarities between various uh, pagan concepts. And of course, it wasn't just limited to Greek philosophers. Over time, for example, when they went to other areas of the world, they would compromise. I mentioned, for example, the Day of the Dead that the Mexicans keep. Um, you weren't going to get that from the Bible, but they were the native people were keeping some version of that, and so the Greco-Romans say, well, you know, we can compromise a little bit here. If we give a little bit, they'll be, they'll call themselves Christian, and that's good enough for us. Certainly it was good enough for them. But it's not true. And it's not consistent with the teachings of the God of the Bible. Now, what does God actually teach? As far as specific days, if you take your Bible, go to the book of uh, uh, Leviticus 23. I've alluded to it a few times, but I haven't actually gone there. So you go to Leviticus chapter uh, 23. And I'm going to start in uh, verse 1. And, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, The feast of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be my holy convocations, these are my feasts. So these are God's feasts. Now if you look in the New Testament, the only feasts that are mentioned that you're supposed to keep, by the way, are these same ones. The Sabbath, which is mentioned next, uh, verse 3, uh, it says in Hebrews 4.9, if you look at a proper translation, there remains therefore a Sabbath rest of the people of God. That's, the, that's one. But we're mostly focused here on the fall holy day, so I'm going to, going to get to that. But I find it astounding 
that the days that God is going to tell you precisely what days are my days, which days I want you to keep, people don't think they should have to keep those. Paul said to keep the feasts in uh, 1 Corinthians 5, verses 6 and 7. He went to keep the feasts, as I mentioned before, uh, in, in the book of Acts. Those are the days that are mentioned in the Bible to keep God's festivals. Day of the Dead? No. All Saints Day? No. Halloween? No. Christmas? None of those are mentioned, but those are the ones that Greco-Romans keep. Okay, it, uh, if you go to uh, verse, uh, I think I'm going to go down to verse uh, six, six, uh, 23. Sorry. Leviticus 23, verse 23. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, in the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath rest. And remember, as I just mentioned a moment ago, in Hebrews 4.9, it says there still remains a Sabbath rest of the people of God. And if, by the way, your translation of the Bible says there's a rest of the children for the people of God, you ought to look up what the Greek word actually is. It's sabbatismo, which means Sabbath rest. It's not the same word rest used in other parts of the Bible. It specifically says Sabbath rest, which again we're seeing here in, in uh, Leviticus 23, verse 24. So we see the... Uh, this is the Sabbath rest, a memorial of the blowing of trumpets, the Holy Convocation. So trumpets were blown then. As you go to the uh, New Testament, you'll see in the book of Revelation that there's going to be blowing of trumpets. And I mentioned before about the last trumpet that's going to sound. So the Feast of Trumpets pictures a future event that has not happened. If you go to the book of Revelation, which we won't do right now, but in Revelation chapter 1 it says, these are things that are going to come to pass. These are prophecies. This is the book of prophecy, the book of Revelation. So while we have a gap between the day of Pentecost and the, uh, uh, the Feast of Trumpets, in the Holy Days we have a gap between the spring and then the fall. We have this big gap to have the future fulfillment there. Uh, verse 26, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Also the tenth day of the seventh month shall be the day of atonement. This will be a holy convocation to you. You shall afflict your souls. Uh, and offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. Verse 28, you shall do no work on the same day, for it's a day of atonement, to make atonement before you, before the Lord your God. Any person who is not afflicted in soul on that same day shall be cut off from his people. Verse 30, and any person who does any work on that same day, I shall destroy from among his people. Verse 31, you shall do no manner of work, it shall be a statute forever, your generations and your dwellings. It shall be for you a Sabbath of solemn rest. And you shall afflict your souls on the ninth day of the month at evening. From evening to evening, you shall celebrate the Sabbath. So God is very clear exactly when that is. And this year, by the way, it'll be the evening of the 13th of September through the 14th of uh, September. Uh, that's how it will fall this year. That's precisely the date. And I went over the Feast of Trumpets. That will be from the evening of the 4th. That will be sunset on the 4th of September through sunset on the 5th. And this is the time frame that the Bible's talking about. Those are specific days. God's telling you when to keep them, and He's telling you how to keep them, or how they're to be kept. Uh, going down to uh, verse uh, 33, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel. The 15th day of the seventh month shall be the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days to the Lord. On the first day shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it. For in seven days you'll offer an offering. On the eighth day, that's a separate holy day, you shall have a holy convocation. 
and you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. It's a sacred assembly. You shall do no customary work on it. And Jesus kept that day, that great day, that last great day, as I mentioned in John chapter 7, verse uh, 37. But notice here in Leviticus 23, verse 37. These are the feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, to offer an offering by fire to the Lord, burnt offerings, grain offerings, sacrifice, and drink offerings, everything on this day, besides the Sabbath of the Lord, besides your gifts, besides your vows, and your freewill offerings to the Lord. And then he talks more about how to keep the Feast of Tabernacles, which I won't go to right now. Now, you might be saying, Aha! I've got an out. I don't have to keep this, because you have to present an offering. And we don't have to do that anymore. Well, actually, the Bible says we're supposed to present ourselves as an offering, as a living sacrifice. And that's the New Testament application. So yes, there's been some changes with the Holy Days. There's a few things we don't have to do. Uh, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that uh, the blood of bulls doesn't take away sins. We needed Jesus Christ uh, and his sacrifice. So we don't go around and do animal sacrifices anymore. So there have been some changes. You say, oh, well, that means we don't have to keep the days. Really? Then why do people keep days like Christmas, which are not in the Bible? And why did the Apostle Paul say to keep the feast in First uh, 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 Corinthians? And why did he say that he, by all means, had to go keep the feast? And then why did he say in Acts 28, 17, that he did nothing against the customs of the people or the law? He kept the law. He kept the holy days. And he was the apostle to the Gentiles. Now, what do these days picture? Um, I'm going to kind of paraphrase this. I'm going to actually read some stuff from the Statement of Beliefs of the Continuing Church of God. Feast of Trumpets. That, again, that's the one that's going to start on the 4th of September, sunset to the 5th of September. Helps picture the blowing of the seven trumpets of the book of Revelation, which you can read about in Revelation 8, 9, 11. Uh, in, in 11, it's verses 15 through 18, including the last trumpet, which is going to sound, the dead are going to be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed, as I mentioned before, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 52. And the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, and I read that from 1 uh, Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. So the piece of trumpets pictures this, and this is what we as Christians are looking forward to. This is one of the reasons that we keep these holy days, because we understand God's plan of salvation and what God's plan is. People who do not keep these holy days have much less understanding what God's plan is. The Day of Atonement. It's called the Fast in the New Testament. It helps picture that Satan has a role in the sins of humankind, and he's going to be bound for a thousand years, as it says in Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 3. And if you look in Leviticus 16, verses 20 through 26, you'll also see some kind of binding, uh, or actually sending a goat to the wilderness, which Satan is picturing here. And by the way, those who want more detailed scriptures uh, than I covered in this particular sermon can go to the website, because we have an article on this, at uh, www.cogwriter.com. That's www.cogwriter.com. There's an article where I've got the quotes in more detail. So, for example, if you want to find out where I got a source from John Chrysostom or which particular article the Catholic Encyclopedias or uh, where, the, where, where did the Peonesis come from and all those kind of things. I've got references there and more scriptures. Prove it to yourself. Prove what I'm teaching to you is from the Word of God. Now, if you've been turning to the scriptures I've been referring to today, 
hopefully you have proven that. But if you want more information, again, I do have an article at www.cogwriter.com on the fall holidays that uh, has a lot of what I've been going over today. Now, the Feast of Tabernacles, which comes next, shows a time of abundance. It helps picture the millennial reign uh, of Jesus Christ and the saints on the earth. That's what we in the Continuing Church of God teach. That's what people taught in days gone by. That's what the Judeo-Christians taught according to people such as the Roman Catholic doctrine St. Jerome. So this is not a brand new concept. Some people have said that, oh, no, this, this, this Holy Day stuff is something that Herbert Armstrong came up with in the early to mid-20th century, and oh, this was just nonsense. Christians didn't keep it. But that's not true. Also, I should mention that in Church of God's Seventh Day, uh, where Herbert Armstrong was part of, there were people affiliated with it that also did keep the Holy Days. Uh, other, without, they had nothing to do with Herbert Armstrong. They were, they were before his time, actually. Now, not everybody in Church of God's Seventh Day kept the Holy Days, and currently the Church of God's Seventh Day doesn't keep the Holy Days. They allow you to keep them if you don't bother people about them. You're allowed to keep them, but they don't actually keep them. But this was not some invention of Herbert Armstrong's. This concept is in the ancient literature. You can look through the history that Christians believe that the Feast of Tabernacles pictured the millennial reign of Christ. And part of the Gospel of the Kingdom is to tell people that we need Jesus Christ to reign in this earth to fix the problems that humanity has caused itself for the last 6,000 years. This future paradise is going to be followed by... Uh, will follow, I'm sorry, is going to follow the near total destruction humanity is going to bring upon itself. Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 24, unless those days be shortened, no flesh shall be saved alive. And we in the continuing Church of God are trying to get this warning message out to the world. Look, people have cut themselves off from God. Look, they don't want to do what this book says. They want to rely on traditions. Look, they want to believe in lies. They want to keep holy days that have nothing to do with God's true plan of salvation. They've, it's a distorted plan of salvation that they teach. And because of this, humanity is going to bring itself to the brink of destruction. And Jesus said, unless those days be shortened, no flesh should be saved alive, but Jesus is going to have to return and stop humanity from destroying this planet and introduce the millennial reign of Christ in the restoration of all things. And humankind will find out under a thousand years of God's reign how a planet that they started with that was so pristine will be beautiful again. And during the Feast of Tabernacles, this is one of the reasons why we say second tithes to do this, we can live a time of abundance and have uh, perhaps fancier food than we normally get, uh, perhaps fancier drink than we normally get, uh, perhaps fancier accommodations than we, than we normally get. It kind of helps picture this time of abundance that during the kingdom of God. And the last day, great day pictures that everyone who ever lived will have an opportunity for salvation. Now, we in the Continuing Church of God do not teach universal salvation. But we do teach a universal offer of salvation. That is, that God is going to offer everyone salvation, either now or in the age to come. And that's what Jesus was referring to in John chapter 7, verse 37. But because people who call themselves Christian do not keep these holy days, they do not understand what Jesus stood for, they do not understand what he was teaching, and they misunderstand his plan of salvation. Now, I should mention that uh, uh, this year, the uh, last great day will conclude on the uh, uh, 26th of, uh, of September. 
and the, the, the feast will start seven days before uh, Wednesday night and that will be this year if you need a holiday calendar yes there is a holiday calendar at www.cogwriter.com and this holiday calendar at www.cogwriter.com shows the Roman calendar dates for the holy days not just for 2013 or 2014 uh, it shows up through 2017, and if you go further below, it shows through 2024. Why is that helpful? Because uh, for a lot of you, you're going to have to get off of work and plan your time, and you've, you've got an opportunity to, to schedule it in advance and to know and to know when those holy days will be. You say, but a lot of people don't do this. They don't want to. They don't want to keep those days. Well, human tradition is in a, not an appropriate reason. If you take your Bibles, we're going to go to the book of Matthew, chapter 15. I'm going to go to verse uh, 7 to see some of what Jesus taught. Matthew 15, verse 7. Jesus was talking to the religious leaders of the day, the people who thought they were better than everybody else, the people who thought they understood God's way, and they were the majority party at the time, therefore they must be right. Jesus said to them, Matthew 15, verse 7, Hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, these people draw near me with their mouth. Yeah, we're talking about Christ at Christmas. We're talking, we're drawing near to God. And they honor me with their lips. But their heart's far from me. And in vain they worship me. Teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And isn't that what we have going on now? Now, yeah, there's debate in the Protestant community, and even the Catholic community, by the way, whether or not they ought to keep Halloween. But there's pretty much... Pretty little debate whether or not they ought to keep Christmas. Nearly all Protestants, Greek Orthodox and Roman Catholics think they should keep Christmas. Uh, but those are, that's a commandment of man that's being taught as a doctrine. The holy days, the days that you're supposed to keep are in the Bible. It's interesting that the days God says you ought to keep, most people who profess Christ don't even know about, or if they do know about it, they don't think you ought to keep them. But instead, they think if they should keep anything, it should be days the Bible doesn't say to keep. They rely more on tradition. Now, should religious leaders be obeyed if they're telling you to disobey what God says? Well, in Acts chapter 5, verse 29, you don't have to turn there, but the apostle Peter was with some other apostles, probably including the apostle John, and he was confronted by the religious leaders of, of their day. And you know what they told him? Oh, you're a religious leader, and we'll have to do your tradition because it's right. No. Said we ought to obey God rather than men. In both the, in the Old Testament, we find out which days God said were His holy days. In the New Testament, we found out Jesus kept the same holy days. We were we found out that the Apostle Paul said to imitate Him as He imitated Jesus Christ. The Apostle John said to walk as Jesus walked. Jesus walked and kept the holy days. The Apostle John kept the holy days. The Apostle Paul kept the holy days. The followers of the Apostle John and Paul, like Polycarp, Polycrates, and others, kept the holy days. We saw that there are records throughout history that people who profess Christ kept the Paul holy days from the earlier times. But sadly, these are rejected by people who wanted to have, quote, nothing in common with the pitiful Jewish crowd, or miserable Jewish crowd, depending which translation you look at. And who came up with that? The sun-worshipping emperor Constantine. But because of that, 
people don't keep the holy days. Instead, they do things they should not. No professing Christian should be keeping Halloween, All Saints Day, or even Christmas. The, nobody was keeping them until way after Jesus died, but people were keeping the holy days. Should you obey the teachings of God as revealed in the Bible, as practiced by the church, Christian church, or, later, or the later ones that the pagans kept? You need to decide whether you're going to obey God rather than men.